Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. It's an NBA-focused episode with good friend of the program, James Edwards. We're going to talk about the MVP race from hell finally coming to a conclusion. We're going to talk all four of the remaining NBA playoff series. These conference semifinals have been just fucking ridiculous. They've been so, so great to watch. And then finally, we are going to close on some draft talk because James is our beat writer from Detroit. He pays attention to these draft prospects and he has a take that like I have, I have some questions about and I need to, <laughs> I need to ha- have a conversation with him about it. So James, how's it going, man? I'm going, I'm doing well, Sam. Appreciate you having me on as always. And yeah, I'm excited to get to that because I've changed my view a little bit, but I'm still not fully there. And you, you convinced me a little bit and I'm sure you'll convince me more, but we'll, we'll leave that tease <laughs> there and we'll get to it at the end. It's funny because it's a guy that you don't like at all. And I think that like, I, I don't know that I would prioritize him. Like if Detroit got the number two pick, but yeah. anything after that, I'm really strongly considering, uh, but we'll get not, to that. I get it. It end. makes sense. Yeah, we'll get to it. Okay. So Nikola Jokic won the MVP today. Uh, or at least sources have told Adrian Wojnarowski that he's going to win MVP. Mm-hmm. And it ends in incredibly annoying MVP cycle this year where <laughs> it felt like uh, fans from Denver, fans from Philadelphia, uh, to a lesser extent, fans from Milwaukee uh, mm-hmm. with Giannis just like fought back and forth, like tooth and nail, instead of just actually recognizing how good all three of these guys were throughout the entire season. Right. Um, there was a lot of an attempt to tear down um, each other's candidates. And this was the biggest bummer MVP race that I can remember covering when in reality, it should have been just frankly the best MVP race, because I think that all three of these guys like all three of these guys had better seasons than Jokic did in 2021. Yeah. Um, I think all three of these guys would have been worthy MVPs in 2020 as well. Just kind of mm-hmm. going back through it and looking through, like I think that it, this was a genuinely unique season in regard to how good the top candidates were. And I'm glad it's over. Nikola Jokic wouldn't have been my pick necessarily, but who cares? Like he's a worthy MVP in a season that had three MVPs. Yeah. And I, I had a vote. I did go. It, it took me to the last second, but I did go Jokic. And Oh, this is great. The, I forgot that you have an MVP vote. I, yeah. Like, completely. Was, I, th- this was my first, uh, my first year voting. And usually I say no, because I don't like the politics behind uh, the money and all that stuff. We've talked, I mean, that's been talked about it at nauseum. but yeah, essentially you don't want your vote tied to, potential supermax yeah like if i covered the league as a whole i would be fine with it but because i cover one team sometimes you just i don't get to see everything all the time like of course i read and try to catch up and i watch highlights but it's just not 
I, I don't want that responsibility g- given my my job. But I was like, I want to vote this year just to say I did it. Um, what got me for Jokic, and of course, you can line all these guys' stats up. All were deserving. All worthy. What it came down to me was I didn't think the Nuggets could win 49 games given their roster. Was it 48 or 49? Yeah, something like that. I, I, I was exact number up, but yeah. yeah, I think it's high 40. They were just shy of 50. Um, and to be just shy of 50 with arguably their two best, their second and third best player out for the pretty much the whole season, um, the numbers he put up, the strides he made defensively. Um, I, it, it was it, to me, that was kind of the determining factor. I, I thought he did more with less. Yeah. And like a big part of this is definitional, right? Like yeah. the MVP does not, uh, or the NBA for this award does not give like a specific descriptor in that way. Like right. the NHL, like the heart trophy award, like it specifically takes into account like value to your team. If you mm-hmm. read the description, whereas the NBA MVP vote does not. And look, I'll, like at the end of the day, like I, I tend to just want to award like greatness and award the best player. So I would have voted for Giannis. Cause I think mm-hmm. that Giannis is just like the best player in the world. Right. Sure. And that's my like, look like, when all three of these guys are as close as they are statistically and all three of these guys have had unbelievable, incredible, you know, un- unfathomable on some level seasons, mm-hmm. I almost just want to default to the guy that I think is the best player, right? Yeah. Like it just kind of comes down to that totally at the end fair. of the day. Um, I think Giannis is the best player in the world right now. I think that he is. I actually had Giannis guy. second now that I think about it. It was Giannis second and beat third. Yeah, and no, I get that, to be honest. Like, I think it's a reasonable I, – I think having these guys in any order is reasonable. Yeah, like, I, for sure. I, we, we've seen – and we can transition into the Philadelphia series, but, like, we've seen what Joel Embiid's value is in this series <laughs> yeah. uh, over the course of the first two games versus the last two games. And it, it's it's incredible. Joel Embiid's an unbelievable player. Uh, mm-hmm. He is worthy of winning an MVP, and I feel – but part of what my concern is, and, like, I don't – this is something that I'm a little bit uncomfortable with letting seep into the MVP conversation. But like, I think Joel Embiid is worthy of an MVP award at some point in the last two seasons. Yep. And he's a guy that has an injury history and I have concerns that he'll ever have a chance to win an MVP award again. Like, no, I think, I, that I think that's a good point. The, the historical context of these awards is really important. And Joel Embiid, you know, if, if we look back on, you know, this five-year era of basketball and Joel Embiid has not won an MVP, I think it might look pretty fucking dumb. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, for real. It, it just might. Seriously. And and that's a testament, too, to the, just the greatness of the league. But, I mean, what else can Embiid do? Um, and, I mean, yeah, like I said, I didn't feel good not having him number one. Uh, I just thought he was phenomenal this year. And for him to stay healthy, and it's – like you said, I don't like this seeping in either, but there are like, I think Monty Williams won coach of the year because we didn't give it to him last year. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not that he didn't deserve it. I'm just saying 
the way he took that Suns team and transformed it last year it was uh, Tibbs got it if I'm not mistaken. Tibbs was coach of the year I last year. I think that's right. I think it was Tibbs. And then this year there's the expectation of the Suns doing well. I don't know if everybody expected them to be as dominant as they were in the regular season, but we expected them to be really fucking good. And I yeah. think I think that was the the leeway to like a I I, w- I would wonder cuz I like when it comes to coach of the year I like to do like I I choose to vote best turnaround. Um, so like I had, I think I had Monty too, but I had, uh, I think I might have even had Ime one, just because I think of how hard it is to turn a yeah. team around, do a one eighty in the middle of the season. Um, but th- to your point, it's going to look odd if Embiid. I mean, he doesn't, but if he's not able to get one in the next two or three years, I think it's gonna it's gonna suck for history. Yeah, it is like it's I understand why Philly fans are mad about it. Like it's a reasonable reaction. Like, do do I appreciate, you know, seeing Nikola Jokic and Giannis Antetokounmpo being torn down on some level because they aren't Joel Embiid and Philly fans want Joel Embiid <laughs> to win MVP? No, I right. don't. But like, I, I get why they're frustrated about it. Like, I think it's I think it's reasonable to be frustrated that their guy is not going to win MVP. I don't know, man. It's a it's a frustrating series, but let's go to the series that Embiid has just completely turned around now. Yeah. Uh, this is a 2-2 series now with Miami Heat and Philadelphia 76ers, and the 76ers were summarily blown out in the first two games where Joel Embiid did not play, mm-hmm. and they have turned it around and been very successful, I think particularly on the defensive end. Uh, in the two in the two games that he has played in games three and four, uh, it really is kind of simplistic analysis to say Joel Embiid is better than DeAndre Jordan, but I think that we're seeing just how big that gap is and how big the gap is between like a below re- below level replacement player uh, in DeAndre Jordan and you know one of the three best players in the league in Joel Embiid. I mean, it's quite literally 20 points a game. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. It's it's crazy. It really is, though. And I think we, I feel like we always get reminded, but we forget until it happens. It's very much beneficial to have the best player in a series. And we're going to talk about this here with Philly, and we're going to talk about it when we get to Dallas and Phoenix. Um, That wins you games. Like it does. And for the way Embiid plays and his dominance on the defensive end, I mean that that Philly team couldn't defend with uh, without him. Like they had no shot. Harden looked like a shell. Of, I I honestly thought they when Embiid came back when it was announced he came back that they would struggle a bit offensively, um, and it hasn't been pretty. But they actually last game they were very almost picture perfect offense where they I think were like thirteen of eighteen when the shot clock was like under six seconds. Like they just made it. They wasted the clock, got a bucket. Like just every like it was perfect offense and they have they've looked good Harden has a pep in his step now just seemingly out of nowhere um yeah but yeah I think for you like it's you can call it simple if you want but just the impact Embiid has defensively changes shit and surprise (laughs) yeah well and it's even more like schematic than that right right like game two Miami figured out and our good friend Nikias Duncan over at Basketball News wrote about this, but Miami quickly figured out that like, okay, 
we can just empty out the right side of the court mm-hmm. and put Bam and Jimmy in a two-man game and just let them flourish against DeAndre Jordan, who just has no chance in that one-on-one and drop coverage. Nope. Just no shot to be Jimmy able to was defend killing Jimmy Butler the, and yeah. Bam. Like, he can't play in the gap because he's not quick enough. He can't play flat enough on Jimmy. Like, Jimmy was just straight up walking into mid-range jumpers, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's automatic for him at that point. But the thing with Miami, and I think this is where they're going to have to make some adjustments, our friend John Hollinger has been on this train saying that Miami should reintroduce Duncan Robinson into this series. I agree with John for a number of reasons. First, I think that Philadelphia has enough guys where you can hide Duncan in a pretty real way. Um, And I I would basically put Duncan on the court anytime Matisse Theibel is on. I was going to say that. Yep. Because you can just hide him on Matisse. He's not going to get burnt defensively. And the value he's going to give you spacing the floor offensively is going to give you substantial value. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the big thing is defensively, man, like Joel Embiid's ability to be able to play a little bit more at the level and to be able to just completely shut off the paint for a Miami team right now that, look, I'm not saying they're like completely and utterly built around scoring in the paint. And I think that like some of this has been aberrant shooting from Miami where they went seven of 35 from three in their Mm -hmm. previous game because Tyler hero and Kyle Lowry went one for 11. Like that's probably not going to happen and we'll get to Lowry in a second, but like Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a great three point shooting team, particularly without Duncan. It's not a great three point shooting team. If you pull Duncan out of the lineup. So I, I think that they need to introduce spacing back in because Joel Embiid has completely changed the tenor of this series with his ability to to completely and utterly shut down the paint. Yes, and it's 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 been fun to watch because that series was like almost entering. I don't even want to ro- watch the rest of this territory until you watched and saw what Embiid looked like when he came back. And like you said, they're not able to exploit just the very real weakness that is DeAndre Jordan, uh, aside from Embiid just being arguably the best player in the world. Like there's just so much he does defensively and he's just, his presence alone. Uh, yeah. it, it's, it's just hard to, to put words on it. Like he, he's a guy that even just schematically, like what he, the way he's able to move and you can do different stuff with him because he is fluid. He is a yeah. physical presence that people aren't necessarily just going to lollygag to the hole against that are going to respect if they're going to pull up. They know he has long arm. Like, it's just a different game. It's a game changer. And it's been fun to watch. I want to give shout out to Tobias Harris, too, offensively, yeah. who's I've been a, a bit of a critic over the years. Like, I always think Tobias is a good player, but you always wonder, like, as, a, as he creeps up the pecking order, like, is, is that the best case for your team? And they didn't win when Joel was out and Tobias was forced into kind of basically the second option behind Maxi with Harden struggling, yeah. but he's still, he's put up numbers throughout this whole series and they've needed all of them. Um, and he's looked really good this series, despite the, the over two start. Yeah. And you know, I think he had, I think he had like 21 and 27 in games one and two and his slunk back into that role. But because he had those big games in game one and game two, I think Miami is taking him much more seriously in games three and four and taking him as much more of a threat. So much of this is about who you have to defend and how you have to defend them mm-hmm. as much as it is about the numbers they actually put up at the end of the day. Exactly. Um, 
the the other two things here from Miami's perspective that I think are a bit concerning. Uh, a Kyle Lowry's not healthy. Not he's at just all. not. Mm-mm. Um, he's he's trying to grind it out, and I respect the shit out of it. But like, he's just not there right yeah. now, and nope. you can tell. And I think that Philadelphia is taking advantage of it in a pretty substantial way. And if Kyle's not going to even make threes because he's not feeling totally, you know, 100%. Look, I I love Kyle Lowry. I think he's one of like the smartest basketball players on planet earth, essentially. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he didn't make threes in either game three or game four. Like he didn't make a shot in game three. So like he's scored six points in two games so far. And I, I don't know what, to do with that beyond like almost just take him off the court. If he's not like, if he can't play, like he shouldn't be playing because right. he's been a negative for them so far. I, and I wonder how create, like th- that's just even more of a reason to factor in Duncan. Um, yeah. You put more hero at, at the point minutes. Uh, all depots had, he didn't play well in game. He didn't play great in game four, but he's been solid for most of the playoffs. Yeah. Um, yeah, Usher Duncan Robinson is maybe a little less Gabe Vincent minutes. Um, yeah. I think it, you're going to have to go that route because, like you said, Lowry is a net negative at this point, um, and you know just who he is as a competitor. He's going to try and insert himself. He's going to try the best he can. If he has an open three, he's going to shoot the open three like he's an NBA player with ultimate confidence, but it's clear he's not healthy. Um, right. So, So I wonder if there's a conversation to be had, if it hasn't been had already, about if him and Spo need to actually like find out how serious it is uh, because he is hurting them. And if you even just get an average Kyle Lowry uh, with respect to the Sixers, it's probably three, one at some point, but now you're in danger and Kyle doesn't look like he's going to get any better as an aging point guard. Who's only in the second round of the playoffs. Yeah. Like I just wonder if, for them to win the title, even if it's a better like expected value play for them to sit him, try and win this series without him, given that he's not really given them anything, let him try and get healthy over the course of the next week and see what happens. Like, I feel like that's probably even a bit more beneficial for them as they move forward uh, into the playoffs, you know, because look, the the playoffs for them, they have to win this series to move on, but they have Mm -hmm. to win the next series and they have to win the next series as well. (laughs) And if Kyle's at, you know, 50%, because honestly, like I would say like 50% is where he's at. Like maybe it's just not, it's not worthwhile. The other thing that I think. Andy has Marcus smart and, or um, Drew holiday waiting for him in the next series too. So it's not going to get any better. Totally right. And then the other thing that I think this is showing, and, and I, I I love Bam Adebayo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brings so much to the table. I thought he was, along with Draymond Green, the best per minute defensive player in the NBA this year. I thought those two um, were the two best guys I saw this year. You know Whether or not you want to vote for them for defensive player of the year, given that they missed time. Mm-hmm whatever right yeah. like I, I don't know that i need to like parse through that um i think we're seeing some of the limitations of what bam brings defensively just through being like six nine and a half six ten and mm-hmm. not the biggest dude in the world like yeah he is very skilled but 
Joel Embiid is just an enormous human. And this is like the worst possible matchup for Bam. And I, I don't think this necessarily, you know, takes anything away from the incredible season that Bam had defensively. I think he brings so much to the table against, you know, 90% of basketball teams. It's just mm-hmm. that this specific team has the most dominant post presence in the NBA and Joel Embiid. And I think that Joel has been able to just kind of move him around uh, just physically in terms of like anchoring at the center position yeah. uh, in a way that is showcasing some of the limitations that Bam Adebayo brings on top of it. Uh, it, it has felt like Bam has not been able to initiate offense offensively quite as well and, and be like a secondary scorer with Joel Embiid out there. Cause Joel's just bigger and longer and can kind of swallow him up. I, mm-hmm. I think that this is kind of showcasing the need for Bam to kind of get in the lab this summer and like really finally focus on developing that jumper. That That's yeah. the next evolution of his game. Yep. If he gets the jumper, I mean, it, it's going to be it's, curtains almost. It's, like, it's going to be really, really hard. No, I'm with you. And defense, I think you made a great point defensively. Uh, for 90% of the NBA season, having one of the most versatile switchable bigs if not the most in all of basketball gets you to the seating and place where Miami is at and it's important to have especially during the regular season especially because not many teams in this league have a dominant big man like Joel Embiid just because of how the game is going the problem is and it's not a slight to Bam it's not there's it's he's not doing anything different he's just like you said gone up against the biggest and baddest bully on the block and that's why playoff basketball is what it is. It's almost, you have to mix in regular season is more like talent gets you by. And then it's the war of attrition, right? Like yeah, it's, you catch a team on a Tuesday off. Like that's just what it is the playoffs. You, it's a little more, it's like a boxing match. It's a little more stylistic. You're going to have to dig deep. You're going to have to find game plans. You're going to play a team up to seven times X, Y, Z. You guys know how the series go, but this is the beauty of it is when you have to watch, you get to watch Bam go up against the most dominant big man that we've probably had in quite some time. And it's, again, it's not his fault. It doesn't take away that Bam is a great defender and what he, he does well. He still does well. But there's just, is there anybody on planet earth who can stop Joel Embiid? It's not his fault. It's just, it's, it's a definitely something that's he's struggling with. Yeah, no, there's frankly not like, I'll, I'll be interested to see what, you know, if it's Boston in the next round, Boston has like four or five bodies that they can throw at him. Like, I almost yeah. feel like that's kind of what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And Miami just doesn't have that. They have, you know, Markeith Morris and they have Dwayne Dedman if they want to throw him in. Like, yeah. it's just it's a little bit harder for them just in terms of depth. I almost feel like that's what you have to do. You just throw different looks at them constantly and they just can't do that. And it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Okay. Um, let's take a quick commercial break. And I want to talk about Suns Mavericks next. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. 
some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back. So the Mavericks have gone home and equaled the series with the Phoenix Suns. Now, this one was a little bit surprising to me. I I figured Dallas would get one game at home, Mm -hmm. but I think that your point earlier that you brought up regarding just having the best player in a series can win you games. I think we saw that over the weekend with Luka Doncic. Um, Luka didn't even really play at his absolute best no. against phoenix in game four i didn't think no, i'm with you but what did happen is he finally got loose from a playmaking perspective and i think that this is kind of the model for what dallas is going to be successful with like and, and what phoenix i think has to go back to their more game one and game two strategies and part of this is like th- this series is by far the most interesting X's and O's schematic chess matches yes. um, of the first round or of the second round here. I'm with because you. Because the way that Phoenix and the way that Dallas are going about trying to guard ball screens mm-hmm. against both of these teams. Dallas was so good in game four. So good yeah. in game four. Shout out to Sean Sweeney, who runs the defense, former Pistons assistant. They're doing a great job and they're trying to like figure out, okay. Um, you know, Phoenix runs this crazy Spain pick and roll that has been successful against basically every team throughout the season. Okay. <laughs> what kind of different looks can we throw, um, 
against their Spain pick and roll? Like, are we just going to try and drop like a little bit here and there? Are we going to straight switch it with some of our bigger guys like Maxi Kleba, who's big and long enough? Uh, And then on top of it, there's the other end, right? Like, can we afford to play Maxi at the five sometimes when, you know, DeAndre Ayton can potentially eat? Uh, I think that unfortunately DeAndre has not been good enough at taking advantage of some of the more um, advantageous mismatches. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, advantageous mismatches that are available to him. Yeah. Uh, I, I would like to see him just roll hard to the basket, catch lobs and like, even like on non lobs, go up and just go through dudes. Like mm-hmm. th- That's the, that's the evolution of Deandre's game where he's an unbelievable player. I think there's a case he's top five center in the league right now, just given his effectiveness in the playoffs as a defender, in addition to offensively, but he needs to just go through these dudes. Like this is the series. This is the series where Phoenix needs him. He has to just be able to go fucking through these dudes. The biggest dude on the court at all times by far. And you just don't see it enough. And I wonder almost if, I don't want to say he's if he's he's not spoiled playing with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but it does at times seem like a little more a little laxed because he does have them as safety valves and he trusts them to make the right play. But I wonder if it's like just kind of taking away his aggression, um, especially just him being in this moment. Uh, the expectations, obviously, they made the finals last year, but the expectations yeah. are higher internally this year, like. And they're going up against a, a really good team, um, a well-balanced team that has length everywhere. They can switch up and down the board. They got a guy. What I love about Dallas is they got like a bunch of dogs, like Dorian Finney-Smith, Jalen Brunson, uh, Reggie Bullock, yep. Dwight Powell. Like yep. they just get in you, and they just play hard. And they're all besides Brunson, they're all long, long arms, six, seven, and up. They can switch. They got good schematics. They're 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 fundamentally sound. And then it just comes down offensively. Can you get enough offense? Can you can you trust? Can Luca get his playmaking bag off, which he needs to? Because I thought early in the series it looked a little too Houston Rockets hard nesh with them. They were just Bridges and Paul just trapping them at the top turnover one hand pass. It was just ugly. But just I think getting guys involved early, getting the ball moving, getting guys like I think Finney was really good in game four. I forget how many points he had off the top of my head. Reggie Bullock has had some moments. Just get those guys going early. And I think Dallas kind of found a little bit of a formula with that. Um, But like you said earlier, Phoenix might have to get back to tweaking some things and how they defend uh, Luka because he he was a little too – he ran a little too loose. He's been running a little too loose lately. Well, it felt like in games one and two, they were a lot more comfortable staying home on shooters mm-hmm. and kind of just letting Luca go a little bit wild. Yeah. And they, they in trusted games, the defenders they had. Not yeah. Him. And in games three and four, that didn't really happen as much. And I think part of it probably had to do in game four, particularly with Chris Paul. Uh, you know, only playing 23 minutes in part due to foul trouble, right? So you had a lot of campaign minutes or, you know, more campaign minutes than a typical, you know, they, they ended up getting 27 minutes from campaign Aaron holiday, Landry Shamit. That's going to be tough. Yep. The other thing that I think Dallas has figured out is you can attack cam Johnson. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like cam. I, I think he's a great shooter. I think he's a good rotation player. Uh, you can get him in space and get by him. Yep, And he can be the guy that you attack in switches that Phoenix is probably okay with typically trying to get on 
you know, mm-hmm. getting a switch scenario, they're probably like, okay, like he's six eight, he can hold up. But I think Dallas has figured out, no, this is actually an advantageous matchup for us. Yeah. And we can attack him and try and collapse the defense that way and then hit, you know, kind of kickouts everywhere else. So <laughs> that that's that's an adjustment that Phoenix is gonna have to figure out as well. I almost wonder and like I don't think anybody's ever thought like Phoenix is the deepest team in the world. They have a great starting five and they got a guy or two off the bench that we all like, but when you get to the playoffs, it's just so different. And I just against a guy with the quality of Luca, I just wonder if you can get away. And again, game four, Chris Paul being in foul trouble caused campaign to play 27 minutes. But I wonder if you can get by with longer stretches of the of the campaigns and the Camp Johnsons of the world in this series at this level. Uh, because of just yeah. the way Dallas defends, they're going to give themselves a shot if they can get going and find a advantageous, that's the, the word of this podcast, advantageous yeah. opportunity on these switches. And, and they've been taken advantage of. I just wonder if maybe you have to scale back those guys minutes just because of the dominance of Luca and what they can do with that, or even just defend the, or switch up the coverage. Yeah, and look, I think that advantageous is always the name of the game when it comes to the playoffs, right? Like, you have to be able to minimize your mismatches on the court while also accentuating your strengths. It's why Miami, you know, to go back to that series briefly, took Duncan Robinson off the court because they felt like, unfortunately, they were unable to manage his defensive deficiencies and that his defensive deficiencies were outweighing the offensive issues or the offensive value that he provides Mm -hmm. now in, I think they've gone too far because I think that if you put him against Thibel in the minutes that he plays, um, you can get the most out of him offensively while minimize the minimizing the defensive deficiencies in a pretty real way. Now, you know, the way that Philadelphia will adjust to that is they will try and switch um, Duncan on to James Harden by having Matisse come up and set screens and do a variety of things that way. So it, it could end up backfiring, but I, I would try it at the yeah, very at least. least try it in the sun's case. I actually don't know what you do be, in terms of like, roster construction there are things you can do schematically like to try and avoid it as much as possible and i think that having chris paul with his ability to just fight over the top of screens constantly uh is a big part of it but they're not really all that deep in a way that you said they're starting let's say six even throwing cam johnson in there they've built it in a way that's very versatile very um you know, modern in, in mm-hmm. terms of the way that uh, games operate in the NBA right now. And Everything in terms need. of being unable yet to find mismatches regularly. Um, but Dallas has one here. Yep. And the problem for Phoenix is I don't know if they really have a way to adjust in terms of roster at the very least huh. depth matters less in the playoffs than it does in the regular season. But you need different clubs in the bag, you know, to go to a yep. golfing analogy. Shout out <laughs> Brendan Quinn, our friend. Yeah, shout out to BQ. Um, you need different clubs in the bag in order to pull out when you need them. Yep. Like it's it's like a break glass in case of emergency thing. And Phoenix doesn't have many break glass in case of emergency players on nope. their bench really um you know the, the guys like i would try aaron holiday i would not play landry shamet in the series um you know i i would 
like I mean, part of the problem too is like Tory Craig has like an elbow injury and yeah, yeah, he can play hurts. right now. Like yeah. it, it, it's hard for them to find the like I, I would almost really consider Ish Wayne Wright. Like a maybe I, I don't I don't know. Yeah. It's hard. Give Very it a few minutes. Spot. Yeah, give it a few minutes and see how it goes. I mean, it's like you said, and I mean we've talked about it. It's I don't think either one of us question that Phoenix is the better basketball team. I think they're in a situation as are the other teams remaining where that doesn't necessarily mean as much um, when you're going against the better player in a series and the war of attrition isn't necessarily as prominent. Um, It's very much X's and O's. It's very much schematics. It's very much taking advantage of the other, the other team's weakness on a night in and night out basis. These coaches and players are able to sleep on it for two weeks. As long as these series go, it's a different ball game. And, like you said, it's very important. Even if, uh, what, who was that? Uh, what in the bubble? I can't remember the team, but there was just one team that, like, maybe it was Denver or maybe it was the Clippers. Like Pat Beverly didn't play in one whole series, and then they needed him yeah. in this. Like it's a very well, important to Stephen have Adams, Stephen right? Adams, like yes. in the series we're going to talk about momentarily here, right? Um, you know, sometimes you have to pull your starting center out of the lineup because he's not a guy that yeah. you can really win with in the playoffs. Um, the last two guys here I want to shout out. You mentioned them earlier. Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith's development over the last six years has been awesome. He's mm-hmm. been just an absolute dog defensively. He is so good. As now as a shooter now in the corners that it's you leave him open you're feeling like it's going in it's pretty automatic. Uh, this is a guy at Florida was like a fairly limited guy, could play defense, could shoot in Dallas or at least like had shooting potential more than anything. And Dallas has figured out how to accentuate those strengths next to Luka Doncic and make them work. Uh, I think that. Dallas is figuring out right now as they go toward the off season and go toward this season. Like I think they very well could win this series uh, by the end of it. I don't mean to eliminate them. You know, it's two, two. I think they absolutely are. This is a seven game series, like no question in my mind. Um, And I think they could end up winning because they have Luka Doncic, but I think this is kind of going to show what the model is for building around Luka. Um, Guys like Reggie Bullock, guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, um, guys that can really just step up and shoot. They need a secondary ball handler out there like Jalen Brunson. They need uh-huh. guys who can shoot. The, the last missing piece for them, if they find a legit rim protector who can space the floor from three, they're going to be impossible to guard. Yep. Um, just straight up. Like the, the, the lineups where they have Maxi Kleba out there, are almost impossible to guard as it is. <laughs> yeah. And if they can find a guy and like, I love Maxi. I think he's a legit defender. I think he's a like very, very underrated in that regard, but yep. he's not like a guy that can anchor as a primary rim protector for 35 minutes a game no. in an ideal world. Right. If they can find that guy, like if they could swing a deal for miles Turner or something like that, that'd be ideal. I mean, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really hard. I think to defend them. Uh, l- let's go to the series that I just brought up. Too bad. Uh, Porzingis didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea there was sound. It was the right idea, just just weird situation, yeah. Yeah, well, the the thing that you also need, and this is why these guys are so fucking hard to find, it's 
these guys have to also be able to defend in space. And yeah. because of the knee injuries to Porzingis over the years and just all of the, the things that he's dealt with, it just didn't really happen, unfortunately yeah. for him. Uh, let's go to the Grizzlies and Warriors, which has now become like this strange series of injuries and ejections. This should be like the joy series. I feel yeah. like just watching these two teams, watching John Morant try and like, you know, blow by all of these guards in space all the time and finish at the rim against the team that really doesn't have great rim protection. Yep. I think that's the biggest reason why he's been able to go off in the first three games. And then now he's going to miss game four. Yeah. And sounds serious based on the, uh, the hushness coming out of Taylor Jenkins today. I think he said he wouldn't reveal what the MRI was and didn't go through shoot around. So I wonder if it's yeah, more than just I mean, he's yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be out at least for this first one. And I I just don't know. Like I don't know what like I, without Ja, they're done. Like yeah, there's the, not really a they have not gotten any good in. minutes from Tyus uh D'Anthony hasn't been great. Like they have their backup minutes have just not been very good. Um, yeah. And again, I still think the Warriors win the series with or without Ja personally, but obviously Ja makes it more interesting. Um, it's been a weird series. Fun. I, I think Steve Kerr said it best. They're trying to take what we had. They're the young, hungry dogs, and you can see it. There's a lot of chirping. Excuse me, a lot of chirping in this series. I still just feel like, and Memphis has put up a tough fight. I still just think they're a trade away. I, I, I love Desmond Bain. Um, I'm not the biggest Dylan Brooks guy. Jaron has been iffy, and again, he's still young. We forget that. Um, and I think what he missed his rookie year, most of his rookie year. Like so, he's still getting, he's still figuring things out. He yeah, made a fantastic leap defensively this year. Needs a foul less, but I still just feel like, and you can see it in a little bit in this series, they're just like missing a guy. And it, I feel like it's eventually going it, to, it, it's going to weigh, it's going to weigh on them. They're missing a guy. There's, th- here's the thing with Memphis. They're still so early in this yeah. process. Like John Morant is on the third deal of his rookie scale, the third year of his rookie scale contract. Jaron Jackson is on the fourth year of his rookie scale contract. Desmond Baines on the second year of his rookie scale contract. Zaire Williams, who is playing like significant minutes in this series. I love him. And he's been really good. Like, yeah. I, I don't mean that as a slight. He's a, a rookie this year. Yeah. Brandon Clark, I think, is on the third year of his rookie scale contract. Mm-hmm. Like, this thing is so in its infancy right now for the Memphis Grizzlies that they have all the time in the world to make these moves. Like, I I think that that was kind of the impetus behind, you know, the, the Jonas Valanciunas move last year. Like Jonas was one of the five or six best centers in the NBA last year. And they just decided to move them because they wanted to set themselves up better for the future by acquiring two first round picks and a guy in Steven Adams that they thought they could get by with basically as John Morant and Jaron Jackson take these leaps. Uh So I think that at the end of the day, we just need to remember this Grizzlies team, they won 56 games this year. They were unbelievable in the playoffs. They're going to be an unbelievable team going forward. They're just early. This is, this is a, this is a team that might not hit its ceiling for three more years. And like you always run into the potential, for you know 
the Oklahoma city of it all where maybe an owner doesn't want to pay. Although Memphis's owner is now very, very wealthy. Um, <laughs> maybe, you know, it's a situation where uh, some of the guys, you know, you look, you never know what it's going to be two years down the road. Maybe things change, but Memphis has done everything right in terms of building a culture that um, is built on loyalty and trust and a lot of really positive guys. Like every single player they've drafted uh, over the course of the last, you know, three years since Zach Kleiman has been in charge. Yeah. All of these guys are incredibly high character guys. Like all of them across the board all got like sterling character remarks pre-draft and, mm-hmm. you know, Guys change from the time they're 19 to 22 and to 22 to 26, right? You, you can't tell the future on yep. some level. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with any of these guys, but Memphis has put themselves, yeah, Memphis has put themselves in the absolute best possible position to succeed. And they're just early in the process. And, you know, the Warriors, I think, did a really good job of taking advantage of them defensively. The Warriors also shot uh-huh. 17 of 32 from three. Yes, we can talk about the fact that they're the best shooting team like in the NBA and they're the team that I would trust most to knock down three pointers in a playoff series. But, you know, you're not going to make 17 threes in every game. You're not going to drop 142 in every game. Um, The two things I want to talk about here from the Warriors perspective. First, I want to talk about Jonathan Kaminga. Unbelievable. Unbelievable in game four. He's going to be a monster. Yeah. He like he is going to be so so good. I'm so glad that he ended up in Golden State because he hit a circumstance where he is going to be allowed to play a role in a construct that makes sense for him early on as a cutter, as a transition player, mm-hmm. as an occasional spot three player um, that tries to just run around and wreak havoc defensively. To be gets and to be himself. What everybody loved be, about him coming in gets to kind of be himself and make an impact early through energy. Cause that's the role that golden state wants him to play. They don't need him to handle the ball. They don't need him to overextend himself, Yep. but they're going to develop him to explore that ability down the road. And these minutes now that he's getting in these high leverage moments are going to be invaluable to him long-term as he goes through his career in through different arcs of his career, in through different types of moments throughout his career. And by the way, like, you know, Moses Moody played four game, four minutes in that game four. Like even that's pretty valuable or game three. I'm sorry. Uh, Even that's like valuable. Just get on the court and see what the speed is, even in a 25 point blowout or whatever it was at the time. Right. Like I, I think that the Warriors are doing a really, really good job of developing these players and the best you know, story of it all is the guy that uh, has emerged into, you know, frankly, one of their core pieces now in Jordan Poole. Yep. And that's the second guy I want to talk about because Jordan Poole's emergence, it, you know, it's been happening throughout the course of the season. Jordan Poole turning into, frankly, one of the best playoff players it's in insane. the NBA. Is insane. He's averaging yeah. 23 points, five assists, and four rebounds on 56, 46, 88 from the field. Uh, that's impossible. Like what Jordan <laughs> Poole is doing is unbelievable right now. And yes, he's in position to succeed, but so many of these opportunities uh, 
are self-created opportunities that he's the one that's responsible for. He's just, yeah. I mean, he's virtually unguardable, which is just odd to say, having watched a lot of him, him being in that offense in that offense. Yes. He's, he's virtually unguardable and he just has, I know it's like very again, simple, but like when you have confidence and it's been brewing like that, that's how you see these performances. Like this is a combination of being free, being allowed to be who he is, playing in a great system, and having confidence. And this is what that storm looks like. And he's just been absolutely phenomenal. It hates me. To, I hate to say it as a Michigan State guy. Hated Jordan Poole in college. Fantastic NBA player. And I think it's hilarious how quickly we are optimistic about the next iteration of the Warriors. Like it was so yeah. bad. And like it was, there were jokes when the year they ended up with Wiseman at two because of just Steph and when Clay got hurt and Kevin Durant's out. Now you're looking at a team where Kaminga, I have all the stock. I like Moses Moody, Jordan Poole. I mean, we, we could go with the whole podcast of Jordan Poole's development. I still have stock in James Wiseman. Like, I mean, Wiggins is still young. Um, like, I like what the Warriors have almost overnight turned into and it's what's more important is not only are they setting themselves up for the second iteration of 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 this organization these guys are ready to go for the most part now and they're filling in some of these voids that have kind of hindered warriors teams of the last few years when when aside from um when was last year they won it 2018 i can't remember last year they won it 17 or 18 but it's some of the voids we saw with the others, as Shaq likes to call them, they're like being filled by the young players, the next crop. And it's just, it's great to see. Um, it's exciting to see. It's exciting to watch. And again, I'm with you. They're not going to shoot like they did again. Uh, but if Ja is out, this is going to be a comfortable 2-0 from here on out Warriors. Um, and I don't think it's going to be particularly close, assuming Ja can't go in either game. Yeah. And to, to get back to the Jordan Poole thing, because you obviously were at, you know, you went to you went to Michigan State. You watched a lot of Jordan Poole. Yes. Uh, I didn't I didn't see this at all. No. Like I this is unbelievable, I think. And I, I think that what I didn't recognize is how much of a worker he is. Um that surprised me. Too. You, I mean, what what was the vibe of Jordan Poole in college? What was his nickname? I don't remember his nickname, but he wasn't like what was it? Do you know his nickname? I forget what it was. It was, it was Swaggy Pool. Yeah, Swaggy Pool. Like he was a wild boy. Yeah, he was like out there. Like he was like a free spirit out there. Like yeah. it was not any of this. Like now it's like controlled chaos. It feels yeah. like as opposed to free spirit. And I, he he's harnessed it, man. Like he has figured out. And, and like the whole time, like what what I didn't recognize at all. I'm like I, I talked to some people that like know him i talked to trainers like they've been around him mm-hmm. and like you know packy turner like shout out packy turner mm-hmm. um you know like he's done some work with jordan pool and like the thing that he's always said is like jordan's an unbelievable worker like yeah, i wouldn't have guessed that gets, until as of late yeah gets in the gym and like he's an unreal worker and it's testament to jordan pool like what yeah. a what a, what an incredible come up like he does genuinely transform um the Warriors into something purely different. 
now yep. than they've been in the past um, and that they are setting up to be in the future. Like the, the problem for them now is going to come. So they have to pay him this summer. Yep. Um, they have Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry on maxes. They have Draymond Green on $25 million a year. They have Andrew Wiggins on 30 a year, something uh-huh. in that ballpark. Uh, I, my guess is that they're going to have to move Wiggins just yeah. like to make it function financially. Like maybe ownership just decides we're just going to pay it and screw it for a year while Wiggins right. is still here. We're going to go all out, but I think that they're trying to build Kaminga to be able to take on a lot of what Wiggins takes on right now. That's a great point. And then they'll replace Wiggins with something a little bit cheaper next year. All right. The last series here is the the reason that we say Boston Milwaukee for last is a, I feel like I've talked more about Boston than any other team in the playoffs so far. (laughs) I'm a little bit sick about talking about Boston. Um, I love them. I'm sure I will talk about them with Penny on on the podcast on Wednesday. Um, I don't want to spend as much time on this series, even though it's an unbelievable, incredible, like it's my favorite series to watch uh, yeah. among all of them. Plus we're recording this at, uh, I believe it's six 30 your time, James, right? Yes, it is. Yep. So, you know, this game's about to start here in an hour yeah. uh, game four of Boston, Milwaukee. So, yeah, you know, th- this is going to end up looking dumb by the time we <laughs> yeah. end up uh, get done talking about this. Look, I-, I think this is a tight series. Like whoever wins this game, uh, these games are all going to come down to the final three or four minutes. It feels like, yeah. and game three kind of sucked because it came down to officiating um, on both, you know, both sides of the game. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I thought that both Boston and Milwaukee had reason to be very frustrated with the way the uh, end of that game was was officiated. I saw that. um, I think John Hollinger uh, tweeted something like, yeah, they're going to need a last 46 minutes. Yeah. yeah, Final 46 (laughs) report. (laughs) Yeah. I saw that L 46 report for the end of this game. And I was like, yep, sounds right. Um, Where are you at on this Boston Milwaukee series as we kind of move into the critical games here? I I really called my shot going into the series, and I said Boston in five, and it was just complete disrespect to Milwaukee and the Giannis Antetokounmpo, but I just have felt for so long, pretty much since January, that the Celtics just have a look in their eye that isn't really rivaled by many teams, and I just love the job Ime did and how everybody was bought in. I love the roster. I love everything. I love the way Tatum and Brown are playing. I say all that to say this. I, if I'm Boston, I'm not, like, too upset about where this is based on kind of how bad Tatum has played. It took a 42 point performance and a 10 point Tatum performance for the bucks to win by three. And so of course, like that feels like a game that got away and in the playoffs, like you can't have games get away, but I like, I feel like Boston's done as good of a job as they could do. Minus kind of Tatum, just not really looking like himself as of late, but it's a hard fought series. Um, I mean, Emay more than Bud schematically has been uh, interesting and different. I love the way that they guarded Giannis early, uh, essentially just letting him kind of single cover him, let him roam, use uh, force him as as the screener to make a decision. Um, and then there's the oh, I want to shout out Brooke Lopez too. He's looked interesting. Yeah, for Brooke to have like been 
out for, I mean, God, how many games did Brooke play this year? Couldn't have been more than 10. Yeah, I was going to say, right? yeah, that might be generous. Played 13 okay. this year. Yeah, yeah, Um, You know, and he looked good when he came back, right? Like, he, he looked like he had sat out the season and waited for full <laughs> yeah. health because that's the luxury they had being the NBA champion, having as much talent as they have, is that they can afford to wait on stuff like this. And for him to come back and be full health does really just change their defense. Now mm-hmm. it, it essentially makes Boston a jump shooting reliant team. Mm-hmm. And while I think they can do that because they have Jason Tatum and they have Jalen Brown and they have, you know, Marcus smart can be a hot, cold guy in terms of knocking down shots. They have Derek white, who I thought was actually really good in game three. I thought he was um, too. Yeah. Like, I think that it just creates real variance for them. And if Brooke is back like this, and if they get Middleton back at some point, like in game seven, I know that Sean said that it looks likely he's going to miss the whole series. So let's take that as their word for now. But like if something crazy happens, just because this series is so long with the layoffs that, you know, both of these teams have had throughout the series and they do get Middleton back a little bit early, I think Milwaukee is the favorite right now to win the title. Um, Like just given how good Brooke Lopez looks and how he has kind of shifted their defense from being like when Brooke is there, they are a top five defense. No questions asked. Yep. And when Brooke is there, it also gives them, you know, to talk about mismatches and advantageous situations again, yeah. it gives them a different look um, and gives them more natural depth because it puts Bobby Portis down a rung. It puts, um, you know, less pressure on someone like Serge Ibaka to have to come in unless it's a break glass in case of emergency situation. Right. So. I think that that's really, really important with Brooke Lopez. Milwaukee is the favorite to win the title if Chris Milton comes back and gets healthy again. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe he won't. Maybe, maybe, you know, we're going to be talking about uh, Boston coming through here in game four, getting home court advantage back. And it's a really tight series. Like you just don't, th- this is the one that I have the least feel for on how it's going to go moving yeah. forward. I just don't know. I have no clue. I almost like it feels like you just it's one of those series you want to say whoever wins the night we're recording this is going to win the series. Like I don't I have no basis for that, but it just feels like if Boston can get that W tonight, tie the series, um that that gives them I I just wouldn't want to be on you don't want to be on your heels against the Milwaukee Bucks. You don't want to give the yeah. Bucks a two-game cushion. Uh and of course that's not like I'm not saying anything any hot take thing like of course you don't want to be down 3-1 but i just think there's no way in hell as much as i pick boston and still think boston as it stands now is the better team and has been one of the better teams if not the best team in basketball since january they're not good enough or i shouldn't say that milwaukee is too good for boston to overcome a 3-1 lead in my opinion what this feels like to me is the brooklyn milwaukee series last year Yes, where it was clear these are the two best teams in the East. Yep. Th- these are, these are the two best teams in the East, I think. And I don't think um, it's particularly close, to be honest. If, if you know, Kyle Lowry is, 
Not at this level, definitely not. And if Joel Embiid is, you know, 80% as opposed to 100%, I don't think so. But, you know, Joel certainly just creates problems. I don't think he creates as many problems for Milwaukee as he does Boston potentially, but nonetheless, like he creates problems. And that's not to say that Joel couldn't just win a series against either of these teams, but I think these are the two best teams in the East and whoever wins the series is coming out of the East, um, mm-hmm. whether or not they beat whoever comes out of what looks like a wide open West. Now um, we'll see, but yeah, I don't know that I really want to dive deep into this series just because like, it, it feels like everything hinges on this game that's about to happen. So it's probably yeah. not worth spending much more time on it um, beyond to say that I think Milwaukee is a totally different team now. Um, yep. And we saw it a little bit late in the season with Brooke Lopez's inclusion back into the lineup. And if they get Chris Middleton back, they should be the title favorites, I think, with I Brooke agree. Lopez, given what we've seen so far. He's looking okay. very good. Last thing on the playoffs. Uh, give me predictions for the rest of these series based off of where we are. Uh, do you want games to or no? I don't really care. Okay. Boston. <sighs> Philly. And boy, I wouldn't have said that 36 hours ago. I know. Uh, Boston, Philly, Phoenix, and Golden State. I think I agree with all. Um, well, I agree with the last three. I would take Milwaukee still, given that they're up 2-1, given they still have home court advantage at the time of recording this. Yes. Um, I would go Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Golden State, and I still would go Phoenix. I'm really I iffy on that one too. Like I, that worried. was a no-brainer sweep to me 36 hours ago, 48 hours ago, and now I'm like genuinely worried. I'm worried about Dallas clearly having found schematic advantages in terms of X's and O's in this series, and I'm worried about Phoenix actually just having the means to be able to switch it up to slow those down to yeah. some extent. Um, but you know, Chris Paul is not going to play worse than he played in game four. No. So we'll see. Okay. Um, the last thing here, let's do it. James, I, I, I want to help you. I want, I want to help <laughs> you come to terms uh, with, with Jaden Ivy being good at basketball. So explain to people what your, so J- James, you know, obviously does draft coverage for the Pistons for our site. And James is really good at this. Like Jay, I like reading James's draft work because he has a a very good understanding of where the Pistons are and what they need and what they're doing. So explain your take on Jaden Ivy, because I think, I don't think that like it's on, it's not uninteresting for sure. Right. right. Like I I think it is like, I've talked to scouts who have similar perspectives on Jaden Ivy. First of all, I always like to lead with love. So I love Jaden Ivey's competitiveness, his explosiveness. Um, I think, and as somebody that watches a lot of Big Ten basketball, I think he is in a was in a situation at Purdue that is not conducive to seeing the best of a potential NBA guard. Uh, for the way that they play is just so Big Ten basketball. It's it's tough to watch. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I would do, and again, this could play what I just said could play into my process of why I'm not necessarily sold on them. I do genuinely question the decision making. Um, yeah, 
with the ball in his hands. I, I, I am curious specifically for Detroit. It is a team that truly and badly needs better playmakers. Like Cade is a great playmaker, but I think Cade's going to turn the ball over a lot. Like, I just think that's, I, I, even with time, like, I just think that's just who he is. It's not, I don't think it's going to hurt him in his career. I don't think it's going to, it's just going to be what it is. Uh, a lot of great passers and smart players have, have turned the ball over. You see Steph, a lot of Stephs are like willy nilly dumb passes. It just happens. Sadiq Bey has improved as a playmaker, but he's not a natural playmaker. Jeremy Grant has strides to make as a playmaker. Isaiah Stewart, I think has playmaking potential, but we're far away from seeing that. And Killian Hayes can't start because he can't shoot. So I, I just wonder if there's enough, like, because they have so many guys that are dependent on somebody else setting up their bucket right now, it could change. Sadiq showed strides. Like I said, I just, that, that scares me um, a little bit. And then I also don't know if I believe in the shooting. And so I lean toward more and I, I'm I really like Keegan Murray. We talk a lot about Keegan Murray uh, when we do talk, but I think Ivy, the idea of Ivy makes so much sense. I just am worried that the idea of him will never be reality. And we won't know that until we know. Right. So all of what you said is not wrong on Jaden Ivy, right? Um, I have just as many decision-making questions as you. Mm -hmm. My decision-making questions aren't really toward turnovers. I don't really think he turns the ball over that much. I think Mm -hmm. that it's more toward making high level passing reads. Yeah, like making the right read. Yes. See that. I agree. Um the thing that I think has gone a little bit underrated about or like, you know, under discussed about mm-hmm. Jaden Ivy. He has no in between game right now. Um it's a great point. Yep. His his mid range game is non existent. Like he yep. can't really get buckets, you know, from anywhere from five to twenty feet from the rim. Mm-hmm. And it's in large part because his shot is a set shot. It's not really a like, okay, I'm just going to rise up and elevate over you. When he tries you to do his it. his explosiveness when he steps into the pull-ups. When you see – it's more of a balance issue for me. Like you okay. see his legs fly everywhere. There. Like yeah. you'll see like – watch it if you watch his pull-ups from the mid-range area, and he took I think like 40 of them this year. Mm-hmm. His legs just like you never know where his legs are going to land. There's yeah, no yeah. real consistency there. Okay. And like maybe it's fixable, maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, the thing that I really like about Jaden, and I like him a lot, and I, I, I actually like him more than I like some of the other top four guys for Detroit, particularly, mm-hmm. is. If you a Detroit needs athletes, like they just need yes. dudes that can get up and go yep. because their core right now is not filled with like crazy athletes, nope. or at least their young core. Like Jeremy Grant is a great athlete. Jeremy Grant is, you know, on one year left on this contract. I don't know how much 100%. you can consider him moving forward. Yep. Um, the thing with Jaden is that he's the best athlete in the class. He's one of the better athletes I've evaluated. Like he's not quite in the John Morant, Anthony Edwards class. He is like just the step below that. Like Hamadou Diallo level. I think he's more functional than Hamadou Diallo. I like that. Um, Okay. Yep. Yeah. Like look, Hamadou can probably jump higher, 
but right. he can't actually get to spots on the court because he doesn't have enough power and like balance through his lower half. Hundred percent. Um, Jaden has all of that, and what Jaden can do is he's going to run up and sprint. He's going to go. He's going to create transition opportunities in a way that Detroit does not create transition opportunities right now. He's going to help their offense that way. Uh-huh. The role that I like Jaden Ivy best in is playing him next to a great big ball handler like a Cade Cunningham. Uh-huh. Letting Cade bend the defense because he's already really good at doing that. Run the primary action through Cade uh-huh. and then hit a guy like Jaden when the defense is bent because Jaden can downhill. just beat guys. He's so good at getting downhill. He is the yeah. best downhill athlete in this class by far. He's one of the better downhill players I've evaluated in like the last five draft classes. Your defense is bent. He is beating your guy to the rim. He is beating the rim protector to the rim every time. Like you watch his tape. Like there are moments of him just like running around guys on ball who are in defensive position because his first step is so good. You're just like, how did this happen? Right. I think that's the role I want him in. I want him in a role where he can play like, you know, almost as like a combo one, two, next to you know a Cade Cunningham and that's what Detroit needs yeah three one yeah and I think he can shoot off of a catch so I think that he can play it that way and then whenever you close out hard bam he's going he's dropping a dunk on your head every single time (laughs) basically because of the way he gets downhill I think that that fit in Detroit is perfect for him like I think with the way that Cade can bend the defense and set him up for success on the weak side, mm-hmm. that's where I want him to go. Like I, I actually, I actually really want him to end up in Detroit, maybe more than anything, because I think that's where he can find the most success long term. Like I, I think Oklahoma City would be fine because of Shea. Right. You know, I think that um, you know you look at some of the other bad teams. I don't really like the Houston fit. Like I, I think that him and all. Jalen Green wouldn't quite work because I don't think there's enough passing and playmaking there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I- Indiana would be interesting. Uh, I don't know if Tyrese puts enough pressure on the defense necessarily to like truly bend defenders, but yeah. he could develop that into the future. Um, but Detroit, I think really sets him up to be able to just do what he's great at and go. And I think that we'd get the absolute best of Jaden Ivy if he ended up in Detroit. I love everything you said. I believe, like I said, I think the idea of like everything you pointed out is what picture perfect. It works out to be for him. And yeah, it makes so much sense on paper when you map it out, Ivy to Detroit fills it. And it's not dra- it's not necessarily drafting for need either. Like they, they do have it. Like Corey Joseph started alongside Cade this year. Like they have a void at that position. That combo they want another ball handler next to Cade because, like we said, take pressure off. He does turn the ball over sometimes. I I think it's going to come down to and he was Jaden was a good spot up shooter in college. If it translates, makes so much sense. If it yeah. if it translates, which I mean. We can only go off what we've seen, so it definitely could. Um, but I agree with your point that you get the defense moving and you catch him on the weak side, and he's just got the baseline. It's you're going to see, you're going to see a lot of oh, it's, it's yeah, sports center yeah. top tens. 
Like it's unbelievable. And then <clears throat> you start to look at some of the bigs, like I'm intrigued by Paulo in Detroit, but like, that's a lot of ball stopping yeah. in Detroit actually. Yeah. Cause like what, what Jaden's good at is just going right. right. Like there's no, like, he's not like, you know, messing with ball on the perimeter and everything yeah. like Cade is going to have to do that to an extent yeah. Just because he's not like some crazy athlete. I don't know if I want another guy in Detroit that does that a ton. Um, Impolo is like the king of surveying the scene and like stopping and mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. Like I- I'm intrigued by the idea of just like him and Cade's basketball genius next to one another. But right. I'm not I-, I would have Jaden ahead of Paulo for Detroit to be honest. I'm not I'm not mad at that. I'm of the big three, uh when we when people talk about Chet, Jabari, and Paulo. Paulo's been third for me, and yeah. um, I've almost flirted with Ivy and almost Murray to an extent, depending on what happens with Jeremy Grant over Paulo. Yeah. I I'm not a big Paulo guy. I get why. I get the draw to him. I get the draw. I get why everybody loves him. I like him. Uh, I just wonder, like, I could just see Paulo just being, and it's fine, just being good. Like, I don't know. I, I just watch him and I just, he disappears too much for him. I don't know. I don't love his game, but. And, and the, the other two guys like Chet and Jabari, Ch- Chet is just going to have to be a pure evaluation in terms of like, how confident are you in the frame? Yeah. Just like straight he, up. That's the biggest risk. Right. Yeah. And it's not even close. Uh, and then Jabari, like, I, I just, like, I really like Jabari. I, I yep. like, I, I, I'm leaning more and more toward, the fact that Jabari, look, I have Jabari at number one right now. That's not mm-hmm. a secret. Um, I'm leaning more and more toward the fact that I think Jabari is probably going to be my number one player. I would probably just take Jabari. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. You start getting into that two, three range. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I, I like Jay. I'm with lot, you, man. I'm, I'm with you. I'm I, I think there's going to be a little bit more variance on draft night. Than people think. Like, oh, I than think, what people think for yeah, sure. I think so. Like I feel like a- anyone we- who is trying to tell you that they know what is going to happen with Chet Holmgren on draft night before yeah. the lottery right now. Yeah. No idea. Nope. Like, and I could, yep. I'm with no. You. And I could see somebody falling in love with Ivy at two. Like it just wouldn't yeah. surprise me. And I could see somebody. I could see somebody picking Keegan over Paolo. As crazy as it sounds, like I could just see it. It just, I think it's a lot of this is beauty in the eye of the beholder for this draft because I don't, there's just, I think Jabari's maybe the, the safest of the yeah. high end picks. Chet, and you, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to the king here. You know all this, but Chet is biggest variance, I think, has the best ceiling, has a very low floor. You First, could, could very easily go. Like Chet could very easily go number one, very, yep. very easily, depending on who gets the pick. Like yep. if the right combo of teams came together, like Chet could go four. Like yep. it's it, the, the, the lottery balls and the way they fall is going to be fascinating for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there are evaluators who love Chet and just totally buy it. There are others that have, genuine concerns about the way that it all translates yep and rightfully so i get it i'm excited i i I don't particularly love a lot of guys in this draft but i i'm very interested to see how this draft like i'm excited for this draft to see how it goes yeah 
I agree. James, tell the people where they can find your uh, work. Tell the people where you are on social media. Appreciate you having me on, brother, as always. Uh, I'm on Twitter at JL Edwards, III, um, James Edwards III. And yeah, if you're into the Pistons, go to the Athletic, check out the Pistons tab, and you'll see stuff there. It's off season, so I'm doing my best Sam Vecini impression for the next month and a half. Just the best at it, man. I appreciate it. I'm the best impressionist um, there is. <laughs> I have some team-based stuff coming up here in the future, like I wrote with James mm-hmm. on Pistons last week. Um, I'll have that later this week. Uh, for the most part, I'm like so locked in on NBA Draft Guide now. Um, promise the listeners you are going to have a podcast with me and Penny uh, coming up uh, on the draft on Wednesday or Thursday, depending. Um, and then you will have another podcast with me, hopefully coming on Friday or Saturday on the NBA playoffs again. So keep it locked here. We'll have some really good stuff going forward. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel, Game Theory uh, with Sam Vecini over on YouTube. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, you know, Spotify, you know, all of the apps, please. Um, but until next time, we will talk soon.